If you have to do something around the house or in your car or something like that, and you're not sure how to do it, what are you going to do? Well, if you're like a lot of people, you go to YouTube, and you look up a video on how to do it. I need to figure out how to get my wedding ring out of a P-trap under the sink, and I don't know how to take the P-trap off. And you go to a YouTube video, and you can watch how to do that. I need to figure out how to rotate my tires or change the brakes, or how do I prune this particular hedge, and when do I prune this particular hedge? You need to know how to do something. You can go to YouTube and figure out how to do it. And here are the steps to do that. Go... Uh, find the project that you need to do. I need to replace the head gasket on my 1970 F100, right? Okay, so go to YouTube, check how to do it. Go out and do it wrong, because you'll discover the two-minute video doesn't actually comprehensively cover all of the ways to do said project. Call your buddy to come over. He will help you do it wrong better. Then hire a professional, pay that professional to first of all fix what you did wrong, then pay him to do the job you actually originally needed done. So these are the steps that you will do. How to figure something out, check YouTube. So here's the question, how to be good at religion? How to be good at religion? And here's the thing, when you see a professional doing a job, maybe the professional finally comes in and is going to change the head gasket on your 1970 F100, you go, oh, I, I never would have thought of doing that. You discover things you didn't know. And, and the question is, what do we not know about religion? The Bible tells us how to be good at religion, and it's a little bit counterintuitive. And so we're going to look this morning in our passage two ways, I want, and, and I know you want to be good at religion, how do I know that? You're at an early service on Sunday. I mean, obviously, you want to be really religious. I don't know what I'm going to say about the second service. How to be good at religion. Let's look at verses uh, 30 through 33 of Romans 9. I don't know if you've heard of this guy. His name is, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his first name, Eben or Eben Byers. He was an, a golfer, uh, an amateur golfer. He actually won the U.S. Amateur in 1906. Who remembers that? Nobody, okay. He was riding on a train, he fell out of his berth and he injured his arm. So he went to the doctor, he said, I got kind of a, a bum shoulder, I fell out of bed on the train, can you uh, prescribe anything for me? He said, oh yeah, we got this great new treatment, it just came out and it makes your body heal faster and it's a substance called Radithor. In the early 1900s, they decided dissolving uranium substances in water was a really good idea. There was this thought that radioactive materials were provided healing properties. So on the advice of his doctor, he'd been dissolving these radioactive tablets in water and drinking them several times a day. And as you would expect, in not too many years, he died of cancer. That was run, running throughout his body. What's the issue? What he thought was the cure for his ailment actually was a death sentence. What he thought was a cure was actually a death sentence. It was counterintuitive what he needed to do to get better, and he obviously got it really wrong. And just so you know, radiation is bad for you, if you weren't aware of that. So here's the thing. How to be good at religion, it's actually counterintuitive. We tend to do the things that are deadly in order to be good at religion instead of doing what actually needs to be done to be good at religion. So here's the first thing. How to be good at religion don't stumble. How to be good at religion. First thing, don't stumble. Look at verse 30, Romans chapter 9. What should we say? 
Gentiles. Gentiles is anyone who's not a Jew. Gentiles who do, did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is, a righteousness by faith. So the Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Romans 9, is creating a contrast in these first couple of verses between Gentiles and Jews. He's talking about people groups, not individuals within the people groups. Certainly there are exceptions to what he's going to discuss about both Gentiles and Jews, but as a whole he's describing how Gentiles and Jews have pursued God, and he's going to contrast the two, and what he says here about Gentiles, Gentiles who weren't, aren't pursuing any kind of sense of religious righteousness have in fact attained religious righteousness, a righteousness that is by what? It's by faith. So Gentiles with no exertion have righteousness. Now here's the righteousness he's describing in this passage. Certainly righteousness, we're thinking about morality, doing that which is right and refraining from doing that which is wrong. But really what he's talking about here in regard to righteousness is not what's right and wrong per se, it's an identity as righteous. That's what he's talking about here. He's talking about a person who's characterized in who they are as righteousness. More than just doing right or wrong, it's somebody who is identified as righteous, so therefore has the right to enter the presence of God with no concern whatsoever. That's what we're talking about in terms of righteousness here. And he's saying that Gentiles, by faith in Jesus, have attained righteousness without pursuing righteousness through religious means. That certainly doesn't mean they were being immoral on purpose. It doesn't mean they were seeking to both know God while being immoral, but the, the point is their identity as righteous was achieved by trusting, by trusting God. So Gentiles didn't pursue righteousness through a law code, and they achieved righteousness by faith in trusting in Jesus. But let's look at Israel, verse 31. But, that means the contrast here. Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Gentiles, not pursuing the law, became righteous. What? Jews, who had a law that leads to righteous righteousness, did not succeed in becoming righteous. Why did this happen? Through great exertion, through great law code following, their identity was still unrighteous because they were seeking uh, to become righteous through the law and they were not successful. The two primary reasons the Jews were not successful in becoming righteous through the law. First reason, because they didn't actually do the law. First reason, if you're going to become righteous through the law, what should you do? You should do the law. Well, they actually didn't. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 7 and 8. And you can look up on the screen all day long, and the verse will never appear there because I got it too late in the week. 1 Samuel 8, 7 through 8. So you can just listen to me read it, or you can uh, turn there in your Bible or on your device. What's happening in 1 Samuel chapter 8? The people of Israel have just asked Samuel for a king. We want a king like everybody else. All the cool kids have kings. Can we have a king? And Samuel, of course, is very annoyed with this, very displeased with this. Uh, And uh, God comes and talks to Samuel. And this is what the Lord says to Samuel about their seeking a king. The Lord said to Samuel, 1 Samuel 8, 7, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. They have not rejected you but they have rejected me from being king over them. 
according to all the deeds that they have done, listen, from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. So, God, what was the, the performance religiously of the people of Israel from the day they crossed the Red Sea till the day they asked Samuel for a king? Here's how God describes their performance following the law. Remember, they got the law at Mount Sinai about three months after going through the Red Sea. They have, from that day, uh, forsaken me and served other gods. So the first problem of Israel seeking a righteousness through law code following is this. They never really did it. Every now and then you might have a few individuals here and there who would have a personal spiritual revival of sorts, but that was a work of the Spirit in their lives by faith, not law. By and large, Israel had not followed the law, so how could they possibly achieve righteousness through the law if they wouldn't even follow it? So first reason they didn't get righteousness through the law is they didn't follow it. Second reason is in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. We've talked about this quite a bit in Romans up to this point, so let's be reminded. Here's what it says in Romans 3.20. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So the second reason the people of Israel would never achieve righteousness through the law is the law never really does that. What the law does is reveal sin in the person's heart, doesn't it? There's a rule put up on the the board, don't do this or do this, and the first thing we realize is, oh, I do that all the time. It reveals the sin in my heart, and therefore I need righteousness, but the rule will never provide it. The rule merely shows it's there. So the two reasons uh, the people of Israel would never achieve righteousness through the laws, number one, they never really followed it. Secondly, that's not what law does. Law doesn't make you righteous, it reveals that you don't have it. So how to be good at religion, don't stumble. The Gentiles had this figured out. Believe Jesus brings you righteousness. Israel as a whole hadn't figured it out. We don't need Jesus, we've got the law. You're not following it. And you're not actually letting it do what it's supposed to do, which is revealing what's going on in your heart. Okay, let's look at this stumbling thing. Down in verse 32 and 33 of Romans 9. Why? Why did the Gentiles become righteous and not Israel? And why did Israel uh, fail in gaining righteousness? Because they did not pursue righteousness by what? Faith. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The difference between the Jew and the Gentile is faith in Jesus. How are you good at religion? Don't stumble over Jesus. That's how you're good at it. If you stumble over Jesus, you're going to be bad at being religious because Jesus is the only means by which we receive righteousness. The Gentiles, without exertion, received Jesus by faith and achieved righteousness in Christ alone. The Jews have rejected Jesus as Messiah, and therefore the result is all of their law code following will never be true religion because religion is loving God and worshiping Him. Let's look at these passages that are referenced here in verse 33. It's in Isaiah 28:16. Let me read it. And the reason this is important is uh, we need to remember the people of Israel should have known these things. 
They didn't need the book of Romans to remind them that the law wouldn't make them righteous. And they didn't need the book of Romans to tell them that God the Messiah would come as the way to provide righteousness. All of this was foreseen in the Old Testament. So Isaiah 28.16 says this, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who is laid as a foundation is Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste or will be uh, ashamed. Earlier in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14, it says this, verses 14 and 15. And he, speaking of the Messiah, will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Many will stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken, stumbling over the Messiah because they have rejected him. Finally, this same idea is mentioned over in Psalm 118, 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, this isn't the only place in the New Testament where these themes from the Old Testament are picked up because they are so important. Peter makes the same observation, observation over in 1 Peter two, four through nine. And you're thinking, man, all these cross-references would have been a lot easier if they'd be up on the screen. Deal with it. Come on, man. I don't feel bad at all. I know I should. I'm sorry. First Peter two, four through nine. Here's what Peter says, kind of using these same passages from Isaiah and Psalm. I'm going to read, uh, yeah, five, six verses here. As you come to him, he's speaking of Jesus, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands on Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, listen, the stone that the builders has rejected has become a cornerstone, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. A couple more verses. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people from God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now quoting from Hosea, he says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So what we discover in Peter and what we discover over in Romans is already what Isaiah and the Psalms had been saying for millennia. The Messiah will be a stumbling stone. If you stumble over him, you will experience loss. However, if you receive him, he calls you into his family and you are his people by faith. How do we have righteousness? Don't stumble over Christ and receive righteousness from him by faith. Jesus is the only way to God's righteousness. And it's faith in Jesus is the only way to God's righteousness. There is no other way. Don't stumble and try and be good into God's righteousness. That's a terrible way to be righteous. In fact, it's a cure that actually is very deadly. 
is what we're discovering here in Romans uh, chapter 9. How to be good at religion, don't stumble over Jesus who says it's by grace alone through faith alone receive the righteousness of God. Now over in the book of James, he says we all stumble in many ways. Doesn't he say that? We all stumble in many ways. But what we're learning here in Romans 9 is this. Stumbling over Christ as the only way to gain righteousness before God is spiritually deadly. We can stumble in a lot of ways. There are a lot of mistakes we could make in life. There's a lot of mistakes we wish we could do, get do-overs on. But the fact is this. To stumble over Christ as the only means to righteousness in God is deadly. To assume I have to be righteous to gain righteousness is like that famous golfer drinking that radiation. It's deadly. However, if Jesus is righteous and I receive it by faith, I experience new life and righteousness in him alone. How to be good at religion, first thing is, don't stumble over uh, Jesus. All right, next thing. Let's look at verses 1 through 4 of Romans 10. You're saying, okay, don't stumble. But what about the work of religion? I mean, aren't we supposed to do some good stuff? I mean, shouldn't? I mean, if uh, sure, we get righteousness from Jesus, but uh, isn't there something we ought to do? Or do we just get Jesus' righteousness and then go home and watch uh, Netflix? What about the work of religion? There's a lot to do. There's a lot to know. Uh, how am I supposed to do the work of religion, even having received righteousness from Christ? How do I do that? Well, remember back to that example I used in YouTube. You have a project you want to do. You try it. You ruin it. Friend comes over. What's the last step? Call a pro. Contract it out. So how to be good at religion? You ready? Have someone else do your work for you. When work needs to be done, and we can't do it, or we can't do it that well, or we don't have the tools to do it, or we just simply don't have the time to do it, what we do any other area of our life is we hire a pro, will you come and do it for me? And what I'm suggesting is this. If you want to be really good at religion, have somebody else do the work for you. Hire it out. And here's what we're going to discover. The role of the law, the role of the law has come to its fitting conclusion in Christ on our behalf by faith. Let me read the passage again, Romans 10, 1 through 4. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, talking about Israel, is they may be saved. For I bear them witness they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That verse 4 is the key verse of really this entire passage. For Christ is the end, or we might say culmination, climax, or fulfillment of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now Jesus said the same thing over in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. I'm going to read something that Jesus said. Here's what he said. Do not think I've come to abolish the law. Did you think Jesus came to get rid of the law? Absolutely not. Jesus did not come to abolish the law. Here's what he says. I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come to do what? Fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Verse 19, therefore, 
Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. How righteous are the scribes and Pharisees? Well, in terms of law code following, they're, they're pretty good at it. They're pretty good at, at following the rules, or at least making it, it seem like they were following rules. In quite a few occasions, they just simply adjusted the rules to make it suit their lifestyle, which I guess you can do if you're a religious leader. I don't know. But here's what he says. You have to be more righteous than professional religious people in order to gain the kingdom of heaven. So the question we should be asking, well, how in the world could I possibly do that? I'm barely good at doing my devotions two or three times a week. And you want me to be better at religion than professional religious people who get paid to be religious? How is that even possible? And Jesus says it this way in John 19.30. What do he say in John 19.30? You know the verse. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said what? It is finished. So he says, listen, I'm not, I'm not here to get rid of the law. I am here to fulfill it. John 19.30. Fulfilled. It's finished. It's done. Jesus lived his life perfectly, fulfilled every element of the law, and then died on the cross, and Romans teaches us, therefore the law died on the cross with him. It no longer applies to those who are in Christ. Righteousness is not gained through the law. It is gained through the law being fulfilled, which it was, in Christ. All of the Old Testament points to Christ. All of the prophecies, all of the laws have their conclusion, their fulfillment, their climax in Christ on our behalf. And Jesus says, having fulfilled the law on the cross, it is finished. So the only way to be more righteous than the scribes and Pharisees is to have Jesus' righteousness on the cross applied to me and to you. And how do we do that? By faith. By trusting him that what he did on the cross was for us and it, uh, uh, it addresses our sin. So let's go back to Romans 10, 1 and 2 and see uh, what it says in light of Christ's words. Romans 10, 1 and 2 uh, says this, his prayer for the people of Israel is that they would be saved, but they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So he has a hope that the people of Israel would be saved, but they have a misplaced zeal. They have a zeal for God, but their zeal for God is misplaced. They want to know God through law code following. Let's, let's compare two people. You've got a Gentile who doesn't Give a rip about God. Okay? Then you've got a Jew who wants to know God through law code following. Which one is farther from God? Both. Neither one is closer to God than the other one. Now, Paul would argue the Jew should have the advantage because he has the revelation of God by the law. But if he's going to pursue the righteousness of God through law code following, he's no better off than the Gentile who doesn't care about God. Misplaced zeal is just as terrible as no zeal whatsoever. What do both the Gentile and the Jew need? To know God through actual righteousness, which is only accomplished through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Uh, misplaced zeal or zeal for falsehood is no more beneficial than a lack of zeal. Look at verse 3 of Romans 10. 
being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. What were they submitting to? Law. What was the means by which God says you gain righteousness? Trusting Jesus. They would not submit to righteousness that comes through Christ alone. Humbly saying, I can't make myself righteous, so therefore I will receive righteousness by faith alone, in Christ alone. They would not submit to the righteousness of God through Jesus, and so therefore, they're far from God with no righteousness whatsoever. Being ignorant of the righteousness of God, they sought their own righteousness through good works. So what seems to be submissive, what seems to be obedience, is actually rebellion. It is rebellious to seek to obey God and earn his favor if Jesus gives you God's favor. It is rebellious to be obedient to seek God's favor. Because Jesus is the only way to gain God's favor. And that's what the religious Jews are doing. They're saying, I want to obey God's rules and gain God's favor and therefore earn my righteousness. And they will not submit to the righteousness of God, which is trust Jesus alone and receive his righteousness and his favor. The end of the matter is verse 4. If you haven't heard anything I've said, hear verse 4. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. The end of the matter is this. It's Jesus. Jesus brings the law to its rightful conclusion, and it's by faith in Christ alone that the law reaches its rightful conclusion even in us. Christ fulfills the obligations of the law and the anticipations of the law, and if we are found in Christ We are found to have fulfilled the law in Christ and our identity in Christ is having righteously fulfilled all of the law. Have the scribes and Pharisees ever been able to do that? Absolutely not. Not even close. That's what the Bible tells us. But in Christ, we have fulfilled the law by merely trusting Him. How to be good at religion? Don't stumble over Christ. How to be good at religion? Hire somebody else to do the work. And who does the work? Jesus does the work for us. He fulfills the whole law. That doesn't seem right. Is that bothering you? That you can just be made righteous like that? Well, it should bother you. It's been bothering people for 2,000 years. People have gone to the burning stake over this. Christians have been called immoral, hedonist, because we believe you don't have to be good to be good. Why would we need to be good if, if we have Christ's righteousness? Now, usually at this point, we make some kind of um, caveat. I want to make sure you understand you still have to be good. I don't want to do that because I want it to be as offensive as it really is. The Bible tells us bad people are made good when they trust Jesus. End of story. That's what it says. And if you think it says something else, you're going to need to prove it to me because it says right here, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. If you have believed in Christ for salvation, there is nothing left for you to do to impress God or gain his favor. It is finished. If you are not in Christ by faith, there is absolutely nothing you can do to gain God's favor, and everything you seek to do to gain God's favor will actually be destructive. The only way to gain God's favor is faith in Christ alone. How to be good at religion. Don't stumble over Jesus. Have him do all the work. 
Three quick things and then we'll end. Don't stumble. Sin is deadly. How do I know sin is deadly? Because everybody dies. Have you noticed? The only people who haven't died are the ones who aren't dead yet. But almost everybody else is dead. (laughs) Did I say that right? (laughs) If somebody says sin isn't deadly, I don't know. I mean, the evidence is pretty overwhelming, isn't it? Unless you want to argue that God designed the world to have people die. Have you noticed... And and I mentioned this the other day, and it really is bothering me. Have you read through the Gospels a time or two? Here's what I noticed about Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Here's what I've noticed. And and you may think this is rude, but here's the thing. He seems to be in a bad mood most of the time. Have you noticed this? I I would even suggest he's downright surly. I mean, he's kind of, he doesn't seem to be in a pleasant mood. Why do you think that is? Is it just because they left the jovial parts out? Most of the time he was joking, but it didn't seem appropriate for the Bible. No. He came and he created everything, gave us life to worship him forever without end. And we killed everybody. And you want him to come hang out in the creation we totally ruined, watching people die, and you want him to be in a good mood. See, the problem is, we don't see the big deal. See, we have a funeral, and now we have celebration of life service. And if you want to call it that, it's fantastic. I have a problem with that. Every time I say this, I know I get in trouble. That's what I do for a living, is get in trouble. Jesus had to die because we ruined everything, so now people die. People aren't supposed to die. Right? Do we realize that? People aren't supposed to. He made us in the image of God. Does God die? Only if he wants to. To save us. We were designed to last forever, and sin killed everybody. Yes, sin is deadly, but we need to understand the fix for the deadliness of sin is not to try and sin less. That's like taking Radathon, or Radathor, whatever it's called, to cure. That is just simply more deadly, poison on top of poison. The, The way to escape the death penalty of sin is not to sin less, or try to minimize my sin, or keep my sin to PG rated sins. The fix is to put my hope and faith in Christ alone. So don't stumble over this. The default response of the human heart to the problem of sin is to try and figure out how to sin less. That's deadly. The only way to escape the deadliness of sin is to put faith in Christ and trust his fulfillment of the law applies to us by faith. Don't stumble by trying to sin less. Put your faith in Christ for your righteousness. All right, second thing. I'm serious. Contract out your religion. Wouldn't it be great if we could all be really super fantastic people. Wouldn't it be great if we, we could all be super great people, always righteous? Wouldn't it be great if you could come to church and not worry about seeing that one person? Don't look at them. Wouldn't it be great if when temptation shows up, we would just say, oh, no, I'm not into that. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great if we were just always generous and kind to the people around us? Wouldn't it be great if the people around us were always generous and kind to us? Wouldn't it be great if we were just always super great religious people and they would put pictures of us on billboards and all these things? Turns out we're not good at that. 
Turns out we're not super great people. But here's the deal. Jesus does it for us. By faith, his righteousness is ours. By faith, his righteousness is ours. Do we think as believers today that being a little bit more righteous will add to the righteousness he gave us? I mean, I hope not. I mean, if I can add to Jesus' righteousness, that means his righteousness is not as good as the Bible says it is. Contract out your religion. As a believer, wake up tomorrow morning, feet hit the ground, righteous, not because you're going to be good today, not because you were good the day before, but righteous because Jesus made you that way. That's how to be good at religion. Don't stumble over Christ contract out your religion. Okay, let me give you the caveat. Ephesians 4, 1 and 2. I've got some legalists in here who are going to lose their minds if I don't tell you to be good. You know who you are. I'm kidding. I don't know if you're... They all go to the second service. Paul says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner to earn God's favor and show Him you like Him a lot. That's not what it says. Here's what it says. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What are you saying here? God has made you righteous. How do I know that's what it says? Read Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. That's all it says. Jesus made you righteous. Therefore, having been made righteous, don't you like the guy? Walk in a manner consistent with how you have been made. Not to earn righteousness, but as an act of worship to God. Here's what it says. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain, excuse me, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Here's what he's saying. If I can summarize Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 this way. Having been made righteous as Christ, Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, so live like Jesus. Not because you need to gain righteous, but because that's how he, he made you. Look at the expressions of worship he is showing here. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. These are all things that can only be accomplished in relationship with others. What he is saying is this. Do unto others as I have done unto you. Since I have offered you righteousness and favor by grace alone, through faith alone, do that same kind of thing with the other people in God's family. Offer them patience. Bear with one another in love and humility, just like Jesus did on our behalf. We're not earning God's favor, but having received God's favor as an act of worship, we seek to walk like Jesus walked when he was here in relationship with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What do we call it? What's a fancy theology word we call it? When we say, since God has done so much for me, as an act of love, I want to do stuff for him. What's the fancy word for that? Worship. That's all it is. We're not merely worshiping when we turn on the music on Sunday mornings. Worship is, what do I do in this moment since Jesus made me righteous? As an act of expression of affection and love for my Savior, who has shown me so much. What should we do then? Walk like Jesus since he gave us his righteousness. How to be good at religion, don't stumble over Jesus. Have someone else do the work. Let's pray before we close with one last song. God, we thank you for the grace you have shown us in Jesus Christ. And God, we have to admit 
that actually there's a bit of us in our hearts that would really wish we could just earn your favor. That we could just create a math equation that says, if I do two good deeds, you have to be nice to me. But God, your Bible, by your word and the revelation of Christ on the cross, reveals that the equations don't work that way. The fact is, we receive your favor by faith alone in Christ alone. So God, I would pray for those of us who are here this morning that don't know you, that you would help us in this moment by your spirit to recognize that we need forgiveness in Christ by faith. I pray that in this moment, God, you would move in our hearts that we would trust you for that forgiveness. God, I also pray for those of us who are here this morning who already know you. Many of us would define our relationship with you as one long Uh, hamster wheel, running as hard as we can to try and show that we deserve what you did for us. God, would you allow us in this moment by your spirit to trust you, to recognize that you do show us your favor in Christ. We don't have to prove to you that we deserve it. You already know that we don't, but you gave it to us anyway in Christ. Would you free us, God, as your children from the burden of having to earn our salvation and instead to live our life as an act of worship because you have done so much for us. God, we thank you for Jesus and that he died for us. I ask God that in these moments we wouldn't stumble over him. In Jesus' name, amen.